privilege uh, to be here this morning to, to share God's Word with you. Can you turn with me to Mark chapter 1? Mark chapter 1, it's on page 1002. chapter 1, we're going to read the first 13 verses. Let's hear God's word together. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt round his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the desert. And he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals. And angels attended him. Amen. Why is... Jesus, such good news. Why would Mark begin his gospel by saying that is the beginning of the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Mark was writing at a time when the Roman Empire was strong, and for the Roman Empire, gospel was when an emperor had a son. There was an announcement. There was a gospel proclamation. A new son is born to the emperor, or when he became the emperor. Or when a great victory was won by the Roman Empire. That was their idea of gospel. That was good news. So Mark is writing at a time when the word gospel means something life-changing, something history-shaping, something bringing great joy has happened. And for Mark, this is Jesus. Jesus is The life-changing, history-shaping message of joy that is central to our Christian faith. We can say in one sense that what distinguishes Christianity from every other religion or every other philosophy is that while other religions and philosophy offer advice, they say live a certain way and your God will maybe accept you. Christianity is different because it offers good news about what God has already done in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. 
we're thinking this morning about the beginning of the gospel. And that takes us right back, doesn't it, to the very beginning of the Bible. Do we remember in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And here Mark, the gospel writer, wants us to know that God is doing something brand new in his world. That there is a new beginning, a new kingdom is being established as Jesus comes. What we're going to do is we're going to look at this prologue, this introduction that Mark gives us to his gospel before Jesus' public ministry starts. And we're going to look at a number of reasons why Jesus is good news, according to Mark. The first reason is because he is the Christ. Is the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ. What does Christ mean? The Old Testament talked about Messiah. In the New Testament it's thought about as Christ. And the Christ was God's anointed. There was the hope that the Christ would come and be set apart for God's special mission. That this Messiah had a special purpose. In the Old Testament, the prophets and the priests and the kings, they were all anointed and set aside for a special purpose by God. But he promised that one would come who would be Messiah, who would be the Christ. What is the job of the Christ? Well, the clue is in the name Jesus. Jesus, which means the Lord says. That when the angel came to Mary and told her that she was going to have a son, the angel said, give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus has been specially anointed, set apart for the specific task of saving people from their sins. And that is the first reason why Jesus is good news. Because God's chosen saviour has come into the world at a specific time in history to deal with our sin problem. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot make ourselves right with God. And God is fully aware of that. And he sent his son to come for us, to live among us, to live a perfect life, to die on our behalf and to rise from the dead. So Jesus is good news because he is the Christ. Jesus is also good news because he is the Lord. Look again at verses 2 and 3. There is a prophecy there. It's written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. And then it tells us that John came. In other words, In the Old Testament, there was this hope that the Lord God himself would come and there would be a messenger who would prepare the way. And Mark says, do you know what? John the Baptist was the messenger and Jesus Christ, he is the Lord. He is the one who was promised. And what we begin to discover is that everything that is true of the Old Testament Lord is true of Jesus. This prophecy 
uh, is a combination. It's got a bit of Isaiah and it's got a little bit of Malachi 3. And in Malachi 3, it talks about the Lord who would come suddenly to his temple, which makes sense of what happens in Mark chapter 11 and verse 15, when Jesus comes to the temple and he gets rid of those who are buying and selling and he says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The temple that was set up for the worship of the Lord God, the covenant God of Israel, Jesus says, this is my house. I am the Lord. Mark is very keen to establish for us that Jesus is the Lord. So in Mark chapter 2 and at verse 5, we see Jesus dealing with a paralyzed man. And he says to him, son, your sins are forgiven. And the religious authorities are outraged. And they say, who can forgive sins but God alone? And that's exactly the point. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. And that's good news for us. At the end of Mark chapter 2, he gets into controversy again with the religious leaders over the Sabbath. And he says in chapter 2, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. It was the Old Testament God who established the Sabbath and now Jesus is saying, that was me. I am the one who can give ultimate rest. Why is it good news for us that Jesus is described as the Lord? Because it reminds us that while... Jesus, when we oftentimes when we think about Jesus, we think about him on this earth. We think about him in his incarnation when he became man. But we know from the Bible that that is not the end of the story. That right now, Jesus is ruling and reigning as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That he ascended back up into heaven after he raised him, after he was resurrected from the dead, and now he sits at the right hand of. God the Father, that he is upholding all things by the power of his word, that nothing is outside of his control as the Lord. And that is so important for us to be able to lay hold of because sometimes life can seem to spiral out of control and we wonder if God even knows what's going on, if he knows what he's doing. And here we have this reminder, Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is sovereign. He's in control. He's ruling and reigning. He's bringing about his purposes. It's important for us to be able to lay hold of that reality. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is also the Son of God. We are presented with this amazing fact right at the beginning of Mark's story that the eternal Son of God has entered into the drama of human history. That the one who created all things has entered into his creation. And we see that while Mark affirms that, even more powerfully we see this affirmation at the baptism of Jesus. 
So read with me again from verse 9, the baptism of Jesus. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. If heaven is torn open, if the spirit comes down on somebody in the form of a dove, and if the voice of God the Father is heard saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, then we do well to listen as God affirms that Jesus Christ is none other than God's own son. Mark, in his gospel, doesn't allow us to have any other opinion of Jesus. He doesn't present Jesus as some kind of guru figure. He is not just a great religious man. He's not some great political revolutionary. It's not just that he works miracles or is an authoritative teacher. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, is what Mark tells us. And right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, God the Father is heard to say, this is my son. There is no more important person in the history of the universe when God speaks and says, this is my well-beloved son. This is something remarkable. It's like the, you know, the proud dad at a, maybe at a prize-giving ceremony or when a son or a daughter is uh, performing well on the sports field and you can see the dad kind of nudging the people beside him. And, that's, my, that's my boy or that's my girl. You, you, the sense of pride. And here we have God being proud of his son as he comes in obedience to the father's plan. To offer himself as the saviour of the world. As the son of God. It's an amazing truth. And not only is he the son of God. That reminds us that he is part of the Trinity. Because the Bible teaches us that God is three persons. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And here at Jesus' baptism. Who is present? There's Jesus, the son. There's the spirit coming like a dove. And there's the Father who speaks. That all three are present. That we get to see something remarkable here. We get to see some of the love and the mutual service that exists within the Trinity. You see, God has always existed, eternally existed as three persons. There has always been a sense of love and community and a sense of fellowship within God as each one loves and honours and serves the other. And what we see when Jesus comes to earth is that the Father shows his love to the Son saying, this is my beloved, I'm well pleased. And we see the Holy Spirit serving the Son as he empowers him for his ministry. And can I say this is good news for us because it means that 
The whole of the Trinity, Father, Son and Spirit, are all working together to achieve the great plan of redemption. That it's always been God's purpose to save the world. And what we see is that all three persons of the Trinity are involved. So we see the Father as the one who sends the Son. We see the Son who is willing to be sent. And we see the Holy Spirit who comes to empower for service. If you are a Christian today, Father, Son and Spirit were all actively involved in your salvation. So the Father from all eternity planned your salvation. And Jesus Christ achieved your salvation at the cross. And the Holy Spirit applies that salvation to your heart by giving you new birth and new life. We need to realise that God wasn't lacking in any way when he created the world. Some people have the idea that that God was lonely or God was bored. And so he decided to make a world with people in it so he could love them and they could love him. But the Bible tells us that God has always existed in perfect love and joy and fellowship. And he didn't need us. We do not complete God. But the great reality is... That God graciously invites us to share in that eternal fellowship with Father, Son and Spirit. Jesus, before he went to the cross, prayed for those who would believe in him. In John chapter 17, this is what Jesus prayed. At verse 20, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one Father Just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. That the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus came to give us the possibility of enjoying fellowship with the perfect God. Who has always existed in perfect fellowship. And that is good news. We have some more uh, good news that we're going to look at uh, in a moment, but I'm going to invite Owen to come and to pray at this moment. Okay, as we said earlier, we're just going to take some time and pray for our dear friend, our dear brother David, and um, spend a few minutes just now together. Praying for him. Hmm. Lord, we remember the words of Peter when he said, To whom else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And Lord, we are exactly the same. We are in the same position. To whom else can we go? We can go to no one else except the great God, the universe, the one who made the universe, who knows the outest star, the furthest star, the furthest out in the furthest galaxy. The one who knows the ant 
and the bacteria on the ground, the one who rides the clouds, the one who calls Peter to come out of the boat and walk on the water, the one who says that ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. We are overwhelmed, O oh Lord. We are heartbroken. We are troubled and we are distressed and we are at a loss, O oh Lord, when we think of our dear brother and his wife and his lovely children. Our hearts are breaking, Lord God, because we recognize our utter powerlessness in the face of life and death and illness. We bless you though, Lord God, for Nine Wells Hospital. We bless you for the doctors and the surgeons and the nurses and the cleaners in that hospital who are keeping things going, O oh Lord, and are looking after our dear brother, our friend. But Lord, we are concerned because even they are struggling to know what to do. And they have tried different medicines and different things. And Lord, they're not seeing the progress that they desire. And we come before you, Lord, as those who have no right to demand anything from you. But we come before you boldly because you invite us to in the person of Christ. And Lord, we bring our brother before you this morning. We ask you to intervene, to hear, O oh Lord God, the prayers of your people and to help him at this time. So we pray for him, Lord God. We pray that you would, um, that you yourself, O oh Lord, would reach down and touch his body and take away this infection, which is um, the doctors can't get rid of. We ask, O oh Lord God, that you would instruct the very cells and the living tissues within his body to turn round, and Lord, that you would, you would minister into the very essence of David at this time. We pray for his lungs, Lord God. They are suffering damage because of the blood transfusion, and he is struggling to breathe. And Lord God, we ask you to touch his lungs right now. We ask, Father God, that he would get relief from the distress caused by that difficulty in breathing and the relief from the distress of the uh, ventilator. And Lord, we pray that you would really work a miracle in his lungs at this time. Lord God, you are the one who gives the divine spirit, the essence, the breath of life into clay, into dust, and says, be alive, become a living soul. So Lord, will you not do that now for our dear brother and do him good give him strength and restore his lungs to health and strength. We thank you for him, Lord. We thank you that his breath gave us life as he brought your word into our situations Sunday after Sunday. And Lord, we pray that our prayers, our breath before you just now would return the favour in kind, O oh Lord, as we plead for him and ask, O oh God, that you would heal him. So we pray, Father, that you would do him good. We pray that you would give him rest in his own individual spirit. That he would be able to rest in the presence, the felt 
tangible spiritual presence of God the Holy Spirit by his side and in his body and we pray O Lord that you would build him up and bless him and bring him back O Lord God to be amongst us we miss him dearly and we pray O Lord that it wouldn't be long before he's amongst us at this time we pray for Annabelle Lord who's struggling to make sense of this and no wonder but we pray O Lord God that you would draw incredibly close to her and carry her Lord and be her strength and her guide, be her rock be her sound foundation may your word be a lamp unto her feet and may she know the peace of God that transcends all understanding in situations which also defy our understanding Lord have pity on that family we pray and we thank you for Andrew and for Becky and for Emma Jane. They are our dear family here. And Lord, we pray for them. We pray, thank you that Becky is back in Scotland with us, Lord. And we ask that you would strengthen her and give her courage and blessing at this time. We thank you that Andrew will be with us this evening, Lord. And we bless you for what we see your work in his life. As he brings your word to us and as he tells others about Jesus Christ. We thank you for that, Lord, and we pray that he would sense your comfort and your encouragement too. And likewise for Emma Jane, we bless you for her, Lord, and for her cheerfulness and her encouragement that she brings us each Sunday. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you'd help us to do that for her. Lord, be with them. Be a hedge of protection around them, Lord God. And as the spiritual forces of wickedness in high places would seek to do damage to your people, Help us, O oh Lord, to know the providence and the sovereignty and the love of God that would protect us, Lord. We pray for a hedge of protection around that family. And we pray for that hedge of protection around this congregation. And Lord, that you would do your people good. And that in turn they would be of influence round about. And we thank you, Lord, for your word. And we pray to be fulfilled in our midst that all things, even this, work for good. The glory of the, to the glory of God, to those who love you, Lord. We ask that you would work that out in our situation right here, right now. And though we have no right to ask for it, we ask for it because we know that you love us and gave yourself for us. Father, may that be true. May we sense it. May we know it as our living reality. May your word have power and changes each one, whether we know you today or not. And we pray, O oh Lord, that many would leave this building touched by God the Holy Spirit as he speaks to us just now. So lift up our brother. Remember him, remember the staff who watch over him. And keep him safe. And keep him secure in your love. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Let me just bring to you another uh, couple of things about Jesus our Lord that I hope will, will be a, an encouragement and a comfort to us. Because he is ultimately our only hope. Jesus was an obedient son. That message comes out of this passage John speaks to us of Jesus as the one who is all-powerful. 
He is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. He is the one who gives life. And yet it was this perfect Jesus who accepted John's baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Why would the perfect, holy Son of God accept that baptism? It was for us. It was because he was standing in the sinner's place. That Jesus was willing to identify with us in our need. Ultimately, to deal with our greatest need. To deal with our sin problem. He comes as the servant of the Lord. To bring hope to rebellious stubborn people who by ourselves would want nothing to do with our God. Jesus comes in perfect obedience to the Father's eternal plan of salvation. He is presented as a perfectly obedient son. This whole drama plays itself out in the wilderness and the wilderness was the place where Old Testament Israel rebelled and kept turning their back on God. God described Israel as his firstborn and we see Israel wanting nothing to do with their God so often and rebelling against their God. And then we're presented with Jesus, the great contrast, the one who is obedient to the Father's plan for our sake. We have no hope Unless Jesus has lived a life of perfect righteousness to satisfy God's demands. And that is what he has done for us. We have no hope if Jesus has not died as our substitute. Bearing our sins, accepting God's anger for those sins on himself. So that we can be declared righteous and forgiven and be reconciled to God. And Jesus has done that for us. It's such good news that Jesus comes as the Son of God and he lives in perfect obedience to the Father's plan. And the other thing that I want to share with you is that Jesus is good news because, Mark points to here, he came to defeat Satan. Verse 12 and 13 of Mark chapter 1. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert and he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. The Spirit forces him into the wilderness to test his obedience for 40 days. Israel 40 years of disobedience in the wilderness. And the question through these 40 days is, will God's plans be frustrated and thwarted? When Jesus is tempted, will he be like Adam, who fails? Will he be like Old Testament Israel, who fails? Or will he stay obedient? Will he stick with God's plan and God's purposes? And we know that he does. 
Jesus engaged in conflict with Satan. We're told, we're not told here that that this was the end of Jesus' temptation. It wasn't that there was this 40 days in his whole life and then the rest of the time Satan left him alone. That throughout his ministry, he was having to face conflict. He was having to face temptation from Satan and time and again he resisted. And he resisted temptation for us. He was obedient for our sake. The good news for us is that ultimately Jesus has won the victory over Satan, sin and death for his people. So we look to him with hope. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul presents the work of Christ at the cross in this way. It says, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus is pictured as having this decisive victory over Satan so that your salvation if you are a Christian is 100% secure not because of anything within yourself but all because of Jesus Christ who loved you and gave himself for you our hope lies in him Our salvation rests in him. That Jesus has won the victory. That God is working out his purposes. That there is hope for God's people. Because his son Jesus came. That is the good news. Jesus is the life-changing history-shaping message of joy. Is Jesus the hero in the story of your life? Is he where you find your hope and your security and your identity? Is your worship focused on Jesus? Has he transformed your life? Has he forgiven your sins? Has he become your saviour? The good news is that is what he offers to do for us. He offers to be that for us. So if you are not a Christian, I would invite you to consider who Jesus is. Read through Mark's gospel. Discover for yourself who he is. And for those of us who are Christians, let's trust in him let's cling to him let's find our hope and our comfort and our joy in him let's pray lord god we thank you for the gospel for the good news that you have intervened in the world that you have sent your son jesus so that we might be redeemed that though we are by nature objects of wrath that Jesus has come and stood in the sinner's place 
that he has gone to the cross so that if we look to him, if we trust in him, then we can be ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. We have so much reason to give you thanks. We thank you that you are a strong and a powerful God, the God who upholds and strengthens. We thank you for Jesus that right now he is ruling and reigning, that he is too powerful to let anything happen by accident, that he is too loving to allow things uh, to happen that aren't ultimately for good. And we thank you for that. We thank you that right now he intercedes for his people. Thank you that he prays for David. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit who groans, who intercedes for your people. And we thank you that the Holy Spirit prays for David. And we thank you that at these times we can, we can feel the comfort of Christian community. And we can thank you that Jesus came to invite us into fellowship with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May you strengthen us and build us up by your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, as well as Christian commentary on the latest current affairs in Scotland, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solace-cpc.org. Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.